this morning, we're going to be back in the Gospel of John. I actually um, have been, there's a series that I feel like the Lord's laid on my heart that we're going to probably step out of this study uh, for just a few weeks on. Um, this week, I really, as I, as I prayed over this, um, I was really, um, I had studied for both and was really seeking God on this. And, and just this morning, and for nobody else, I had one conversation uh, with someone from our service this morning that just really showed that this was, um, this was in fact, where the Lord wants us to be, I really believe, this morning. Um, I don't know if you heard about it, uh, but yesterday there was a, a pretty intense basketball game. Um, two teams really at it, a lot of discrepancy over the referees. Um, did you hear about this game? Yeah, it was, it was my youngest son's basketball game. Um, I got really excited, um, said some things, maybe shouldn't have said, no, I'm just kidding, it's, uh, there, there was, we, had, we did have an intense game, but there was also a, a little uh, college basketball game that happened not too far from here. Um, anybody, um, Carolina fans, proud to say, yeah, Duke fans, uh, fans of Jesus, oh, there we go, there we go, some of y'all Duke fans got lost in that excitement and forgot to cheer for Jesus, so just saying. Um, you know what, I, I, I am a lifelong Carolina basketball fan, and um, the, the greatest thing for me, though, is I actually am right now coaching my youngest son. At the very end of the game, um, there was one thing that didn't happen, that didn't happen, that's, that's, I mean, it's yelled, it's screamed in gyms from the youngest to the oldest. You know what that is? It's called a box out. Uh, there was a last-second putback. It got wide open, easy shot to make. But it happened because the failure to do what coaches even like me yell at young kids and try to convince them to do, which is once a shot goes up, to find your man, put a body on him, and keep him away from the rim. If that simple thing happens, then that game ends literally, totally different. It's now a home crowd that's erupting, that's celebrating, and not a small portion of the crowd that's rushing the floor. Now, I can tell you, I, all of those guys on the court, they could, any of them could tell you after that game that that's what should have happened. In fact, it's something that's said over and over and over and over again. And I actually told that to my youngest son. I said, you know how many times we've said I said it all. I said it ton during the game yesterday that we had on a lot smaller environment, a lot smaller court. Um, but I said, you know, it's, it, it's still true. Because there's big moments where in that moment, it makes, it seems, a bigger difference. And as I, as I went to bed last night and really thinking about where the Lord has us this morning, um, I, I could also really see that um, and where we've been in the Gospel of John. There's many statements that are made over and over and over again. And, and the Lord does use repetition in our life, clearly, plainly out of His Word, in circumstances that He brings into our lives. Because there are moments, there are moments where it seems the stakes are even higher. Um, and... Even in the Gospel of John, I think about one of the things that's, that, that John just in his core believes over and over again is that there's just not an existence of somebody that really believes in Jesus, that belongs to him, but yet doesn't live for him. He, he, just, uh, he almost just really wants to deny that idea at all because he wants us to live as faithful followers of Jesus. He acknowledges there's a difference between being lost and saved, but, but being saved means you follow him. Today we're going to see one of the subjects, loving others, come back around in repetition again um, in a very, very unique way, I believe. Um, so we're going to um, start in um, chapter 15. I, I want to tell you first what I'm, what I'm not going to read all the way through. We, we even, not too long ago, did a, I did a sermon on it, which is this, um, this last I am statement that we come to, that, that I am the vine. 
Um, and as Jesus says that he is the true vine, uh, that the Father is um, the one that is, that is over this whole vine, this whole vineyard, this whole growing system, and that we are the branches, he gives this beautiful illustration, very, very tangible illustration, that, that this is how we need to see ourselves in relationship with Jesus, that we are connected to him, that everything um, in that, that we need in life comes to us through that connection. We receive everything that we need to draw in for all the fruit that needs to come out of our lives. In other words, um, there, it is an impossibility for good spiritual fruit to come out of us, just us living on our own, disattached from the Lord, not faithfully walking with Him, not really seeking His Word, not, not walking with Him on a regular basis. Um, good fruit doesn't come out of that. So he, he gives that illustration and he tells him, this is how life is going to go. And he, and he really encourages him, really over all of this, to remain in him. To don't break off. Don't try to grow your own life. Um, remain in me so that when you need what I can give you, it's right there. The connection is strong. Now, coming out of this section, he, he for the first time, as we have it divided into this chapter, he gives us the reason why he taught them through that illustration. And that's where actually where I want to start reading in the Word this morning. It's in verse 11. Um, and, and Jesus says this, I have told you these things. In other words, I've told you this entire illustration of the vine, the branches, the fruit. I told you all of this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. If you were here with us um, months ago, we talked through a series that dealt with sadness, darkness, um, anxiety, depression, those kind of things. We, we talked in that series about how that statement, that truth from Jesus is so, so real and needs to be such an important part of just what we believe at the core of who we are. Um, I, I, for a long time in my life, as I shared with you in that series, I, I, really just, I really just held inside of me the belief that I just wasn't purposed to be happy and be joyful like everybody else was. And that's something that the Lord had to really break apart in me and break down in me so he could rebuild up the kind of joy that he's calling me to. So when I read that verse, I was like, you know, complete joy? I don't even know that that's possible. He tells us right here it is. But our complete joy is found where? He's, he's, he's referring back to everything he said. Our complete joy is found when we're really connected with Christ and we're growing in him. You could also reverse that statement and say it this way, that I will not find complete joy unattached from Christ. And, and that just the idea of I could find a complete joy not connected fully with him, just is the most ridiculous statement for a believer. We're literally in search of something. We're searching out things. We're looking hard for things that won't give us the kind of happiness and satisfaction that we really want them to. Now, he continues on out of that statement, and it won't take but a few verses to get around again to why he's telling us what he's telling us, which actually plays into one of the main points of this message. Verse 12, this is my command. Um, love one another as I have loved you. If you remember, we've just seems like we've just come out of a, a lot of talk about how we need to love others. Um, John, in particular, is shocked by this idea of how to love others because why? He was sitting at that low table that we had sitting on stage for a couple weeks, and he watched Jesus wash everybody's feet in the room. He washed everybody's feet as a humble servant, a servant that was, that was tears below the people that they would have ever asked to do this kind of task. And as he washed even Judas's feet, then after that he let John know, hey, this is actually the guy that's going to betray me. Jesus loved completely, loved everybody, loved humbly. And already, he's, he's already bringing this idea back up. Why? 
Because if you're anything like me, you, you need God's repetition in your life. He, he's showing us. His understanding of us runs so deep that he realizes, even though I just showed you in a very powerful way a truth of God, I already know you need it repeated, and then you need it repeated, and you need it repeated. You ever been shocked by an event in life? Like really just kind of almost shaken to the core? Have you ever really looked back at those kind of events and, and, and figured out kind of how far, how far you went before the heaviness started to fade? For all of us, it does. It does for all of us in certain ways. And, and as, as that fades, that's when God needs to come in and remind us again, this is who I am. This is how I love you. This is how I want you to love others. As he continues this conversation, he says, no um, one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Um, in the way that Jesus is telling us to love each other, he, he, he establishes the, the scale this way. He says, listen, if you want to go directly to the top of, of the love pyramid, he said, if you want to know what is the absolute greatest love that you can have. Now, there's a lot of gestures that you'll see. Valentine's Day is coming up, guys. Valentine's Day is coming up, guys. So at the end of this week, there's going to be a holiday, right? And, and I've missed it a fair number of times myself, I'm sure, and not done enough on it. Um, if, if Wendy could testify, we're not going to let her speak right now with a microphone um, about that. But um, there, there's a lot of gestures of love that happen. But Jesus says, listen, that there is no greater love seen in an act like this that someone lays down their life for their friends. Now, the, um, the insanity of Jesus is that we even have truths like Romans um, 5.8 that says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Um, Jesus, um, in, in saying that we were worth laying his life down for, didn't even need our best to be able to do that. Um, we think of people that we would sacrifice our life for, and immediately that circle closes down pretty small. Pretty small. Jesus widened that circle as far as it, go, as far as it could go to include anyone that would walk on earth that would receive his grace that he would call. And he says that, that there is no greater love for that. You can do a lot of things to love, he said, but this ultimately is going to be the highest thing that you'll see. In fact, John, the writer of this gospel, echoed it again in his first letter. We, we talked about already the connections between 1 John and the gospel of John. He said in 1 John 3.16, he says, this is how we know love that Jesus gave his life for us. He's like, we didn't even get it. Like We didn't have, we didn't have the full picture of love until we saw that. And if you want to ever really refresh how much you're loved, especially through a season like Easter coming up, just walk through the passages that talked about Jesus' sacrifice for you and for me. And that just creates in us this measure of what love is from our Father. But he, notice that he says to lay his life now for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you Everything I have heard from my Father. This is the first time in the Gospel of John that we see Jesus, in a sense, graduate his disciples. He, when he first called them, he called them as followers. Just to simply follow him. To listen, to observe, to learn. Now, for the first time, he's elevated them from disciple, follower, to friend. Um, by the time we ultimately get to the end of the Gospel of John, he takes it from friend up one more um, height to brother to this family connection that we belong to Jesus in in the family of God. But notice, he, he calls us friends. Now, I, I don't know about what it kind of means to you to have somebody as a close personal friend. Um, I know for me, 
my value of friendship, my idea, my understanding of friendship has obviously grown as I've grown up. Um, I remember kind of early stages of friendship where um, those moments on the playground where somebody had a pack of bubble yum or bubblelicious or something like that, and, and, and one of us would make this statement, hey, if you give me a piece of gum, I'll be your best friend. <laughs> now, some of you laugh because you've made that statement before, right? You've made that statement. And, and, and when we look back, you know why we laugh? We laugh because we're like, man... Like, how have I lived up to that commitment? Because that gum has been gone for a long time. Like, was I just committed through the 30 seconds that that gum had flavor? Like, what was, like, what was my longevity called to in that? Um, many of us in life would say that we now have people that we consider what we call lifelong friends. These are the people that knew you at times in your life that you're utterly embarrassed of. You can't get rid of them because they got details. And they got pictures. Not just digital pictures. They got Polaroids. These two ladies are friends. They just gave each other a hug just to say, hey, listen, you, you show somebody that and I'll cut you, right? I mean, that's, that's, that, that's that element of friendship. So we, we've got those kind of friends. We've also have people that have, we've grown to be friends with maybe just over the last little season of life and we're shocked at how God has already used them in our lives, especially to connect us um, continually with his word. Now, friendship may mean different things to you, but specifically here, we have, we have no wondering room because Jesus tells us exactly what qualifies us as friends of his. Um, he says, it's because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. This is a phenomenal basis for friendship with Jesus. Now, I want to say this first, just kind of as a side note. Jesus calls us his friends. He doesn't say, hey, I'm your buddy. And that's important, I believe, for us spiritually because, um, because Jesus is God in the flesh. Um, we need um, a friend like Jesus. We, we need to know that he is going to communicate to us and talk to us and explain to us what he's doing. We need to know that because we realize, it does not take us long to realize in this world uh, all that we don't know, all that we don't have access to, all that he knows in a perfect way that we have no clue about. It doesn't take us long to start to wrap our brain around that. So we need to know that there's going to be communication coming that way. But remember, Jesus, um, our Father God, they have no need of us. There's nothing lacking in them that is not complete. There's no, there's no question that they have that we have an insight on that they don't have. So for us to hold God in his proper perspective, to hold Jesus in his proper perspective, it's also helpful to hold him there and to understand that, that that is who has looked at me and said, friend, has looked at you and said, friend. You know, there's only two people in the Old Testament, the entirety of the Old Testament, with all the great heroes of the faith, all these stories, there's only two people that were ever called a friend of God in the Old Testament. It was Moses and Abraham. And when you look at lives out of the Old Testament, the one thing that is unique out of their two lives is that there were specific moments where God spoke to them and explained to them in detail who he is. And I use is because God was, is, and always will be consistent. He explained who he is, and he explained what the purpose for what he was doing was. And that's important, I believe, for us to know as Christians because God has, is, is, he's got to be consistent to be God. So if, if, if God would say, as a friend, it means that I'm going to reveal myself to you, I'm going to explain some things to you, I'm going to bring you into more details of the big picture than just here, go do this, 
then he's going to continually do that over and over again. And Jesus is opening this up to his followers, those people that would, that would become followers of his after this time as disciples, as saved people. You and I, as we grow from just being a follower, an obedient follower to God, we grow into this friendship where as, as he shares things with us, as he communicates, and he will communicate. It may not happen the exact timetable always that we want it, but he will communicate. That helps us to know that we exist in a friendship with Jesus, a friendship with God. And it's more, it's more than any, it's really more than any other religion is, is, is out there offering. Any other faith-based structure wants us to kind of get on the seesaw of, of good and bad. And Jesus, the one that offers full forgiveness, calls us into friendship. It's an incredible truth. He says that um, out of this, he says, because I have made, you, uh, because I have, uh, made known to you all that I have heard from my Father, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to, do, uh, to go and produce fruit that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. Jesus says specifically to them, I chose you. Now, in, in a relationship, especially the longer you're in a relationship, there's an extreme value when you realize there's somebody that you love, somebody that loves you, and you know that it has been a, a series of day-to-day -day choices to pursue you, to love you, and to be there. Jesus says, I chose you. He didn't want his disciples to get to a place to where as followers of his, when, when everything went south, they had themselves to blame. He didn't want them to fall into self-blame. And Think about this. If we all, each of us individually, if you could eliminate self-blame for your life, what would that free you up to? God doesn't want us to live in self-blame. This is an amazing gift that he gives us. And, and, and this is and it's, it's counterintuitive because in the disciple rabbi culture, the, the rabbi didn't go and choose students. Students were required to go out and listen to the teachings of these rabbis, to these teachers, because they were called as they listened to teaching to just go and imitate. They didn't get all the explanation, not like a friend would. They were just called to imitate, so they would go and they would listen, and that they would go within and choose their teacher. Jesus, with his disciples, came to them and said, come follow me. L let me teach you how to fish for people and not just for these things that are in the water. Come and follow me. Walk with me. Live with me. Leave some things behind. Come on, follow me. So when he says, I chose you, he wants them to understand that, that they don't have to live in self-blame. And by calling them, and they responded, he carries the responsibility in the relationship. Because think about it. If you're a student and you come on, all right, I, I want to learn from you, teacher. I want to learn from you. Well, you, you got to make sure that you're prepared. you got to bring your resources in. you got to make it worth their time. Jesus says, listen, I want you to follow me. He, he's going to resource our lives. Especially, we're going to live in it and notice it so much more as, as this chapter draws the circle, we, we remain in him. We stay connected to him like we are a branch and he is a vine. We, we draw our resources from him. We, we, we ultimately can depend on him. When, when I realize I don't have the resources from the Lord that I need, inevitably I can look at my life and realize that I made a decision to separate myself from a faithful walk with him, whether for a year, for a month, for a day, for a week, for, for whatever. I realize that that is the outcome of my decision, not his lack of holding up his commitment in the relationship. He fully commits himself. Now, um, he also tells us this. That, that he says that, that I have appointed you to go and, and bear fruit. 
Um, one of the saddest things is to see a church or just a Christian who, who is living a purposeless life for Christ. Um, Jesus established that, that, that amongst his ministry, it was an expectation, produce-driven ministry. He wanted something done. Jesus didn't create this kingdom for us to be lazy. He wants us to be active in it, serving with a purpose, reaching people. Um, much of the fruit that, that they were called to produce were, were to just go and share their faith, share their story of Jesus with other people to see converts come to Christ, for, to see disciples made, to see friendships formed because they were then, like Jesus, sharing their life, sharing purpose with other people that Christ had given them. He was also wanting to see the fruit of the Spirit. If you go to Galatians 5, what are the things the Holy Spirit, Jesus inside of us, is trying to work out in us? As He gives us resources, He's wanting then to push out kindness, all of these things that are in our life, as evidence that we belong to Him. The expectation is that we do grow, that we do produce. Now, I find it not ironic because Jesus is so purposeful that He's just talked much about choosing us, being friends, having this kind of real tangible relationship because the turn he's getting ready to take is a very honest one. And he wants, I believe, to establish us in our relationship with him, knowing that with friendship comes this word acceptance, validation, affirmation, comfort. Those things come with friendship because the honesty that he's getting ready to give them is also for a purpose. Listen to this. Verse 18, if the world hates you, understand it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But if they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works, these works among them that no one else has done, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this happened so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. When the counselor comes, the Holy Spirit, when the counselor comes, the one who I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who, who uh, proceeds from the Father, he will, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. First verse in chapter 16 is still connected to this statement. This is the verse, first verse of 16. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. Again, Jesus says now, here's the purpose of why, what I've just said. It's, it's evidence of his friendship. To keep you from stumbling. We, we know what stumbling means. It means to fall. And oftentimes, like um, my kids, when they've come home from school and they've stumbled on the playground, they come up with a little bit of road rash, a little bit of parking lot scrape, stuff like that. When you stumble, you fall, you get scraped up, you get a little bit banged up, but for the purpose of getting back up. Jesus knows us so well. Why does he tell us that there is this idea that the world, and the world representing those that are 
that are not of God, that are, that are lost, that, that culture that exists in this world that Satan is ruling over, why, why is it worth him telling us that there could be animosity between the Christian kingdom and the world? It's really over this idea of acceptance. Acceptance is the thing that Jesus is pointing to. This struggle for acceptance is the thing that he points to that says, I want to talk to you about it because I don't want you to stumble. Jesus doesn't want us to fall in our life and get hurt and get messed up because we really fall into the battle of wanting someone else to accept us, wanting someone to love us so much that we want to find our acceptance in them and not Christ. Now he's telling this to a group of disciples that are ironically getting ready to stumble because they're getting ready to have a moment where Jesus is going to get arrested. So it's going to, it's going to be a visible example that the world is against Christ and not for them. And they had the moment to say, I will either stand with my friend or, or, or I will walk away. And they walked away. They stumbled. And afterwards, Jesus picked them back up. He helped them to their feet. And he encouraged them to keep growing, to keep walking with him. He still called them to walk faithfully with him. But Jesus' primary heart always has remained the same. He doesn't want us to stumble. So what does it mean to look for that kind of acceptance? Well, you ever ended up in a financial spot in life that was not good because you wanted to try to keep the pace socially with others and it was really out of the means of what you had but, but to, to be kind of part of that social group and those things, you made some decisions. They probably necessarily weren't the wisest decisions, but you went in on them because there was seemed to be acceptance there with that group. You ever in a moment when it comes to interaction with what the Bible would call the world, made a decision to do something, not because it was spirit-led, not because it was what Christ wanted, not because it was a, it was a reflection of friendship with him, but, but it was what seemed to had to be done to gain acceptance in that environment with those folks? You ever gone through tough patches in your marriage because you really tried to compare, you compared your marriage to other marriages and you thought, okay, well, we have to do that or we got to look like that or we have to keep that pace, that schedule? I got I to gotta do certain things. I got to raise my kids this way because that seems to be what's acceptable, what's around me. Jesus knows that that is going to cause us some stumbling. And he really doesn't want it to happen. It's funny, he, he actually uses these words, did you catch them? He said that, that, that no servant is above their master. In other words, he says, listen, it, for the world to accept you and accept me, for them to really embrace us and us live faithfully by the truth, it would take us being over top above Jesus. And he says no greater love than the one that laid his life down for those that he loved. So what does that mean? Gloom and doom? No. Jesus simply is encouraging us to live wisely amongst those that are in the world, live wisely amongst the lost, but find our acceptance in the friendship of Jesus and find our home there. And if you've ended up somewhere in life, relationally with your spouse, financially as an individual or as a family, or if you've just gotten lost in what our culture has done, which is to continue to establish even social platforms on media and everything to just enhance this idea of comparison. Remember, what is, the Bible says clearly that Satan is, is the ruler over the world, over the sinful world. Is it, is it not odd that the world always in all cultures over all times has wanted to increase the idea of comparing ourselves to other people? 
instead of finding just satisfaction in the Lord. He doesn't want us to go through that. Now, continuing down, just a few more verses. Nevertheless, this is verse 7. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin. This is what the Holy Spirit does just in the world. Um, so if you want to know how, how is God trying to reach and draw the lost, this is how it is. He says that he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Here's what the Holy Spirit's trying to do with the lost with sin. Because when you're dealing with people that are lost and you want to see evidence of what's going on and you want to jump in as means that God wants to use, he says the Holy Spirit will um, about sin because they do not believe in him. So he wants to show them what sin is. He wants to show them what sin is so that they start to know what is the difference between living for God and living for ourselves. He says he's going to convict them about righteousness. He says, because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. Um, in other words, he, he's trying to draw the lost into this idea that you can live for God because Jesus went back to the Father and he sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. That is how we get it done. Not by our own best efforts. He's also trying to draw the lost by um, th this idea of judgment. Um, and about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. He actually wants to show evidence. He, he, he allowed us, allowed us humans to own the full copy of his word printed as he's revealed to us. That people on their own could read and hear and listen and see that Satan is ultimately judged and doomed. As evidence that if we're going to live out of judgment, it doesn't happen in world culture. It happens in Christ. And after that, he tells them just very plainly, very clearly, in this statement, verse 12. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear to hear them now. You know, even, even in the truth of what Jesus was, was talking to them about um, that we have recorded in this chapter, Jesus knew where their limit was. He knew where he could take them to all the way to their limit, and then he knew where they, they were full in a sense, and that he would have to continue the conversation later. As heavy as God's word ever sounds to you, if you hear it, receive it, and understand it, then you're within your limits of what God knows that you can handle. And if there's a growth step beyond that, don't be discouraged because he doesn't give it to you in that moment. He wants to give it to you at the right time so it's in the right kind of soil so it grows up correctly in your life. That's how he's done it for me. There's stuff that I thought, well, God, why didn't you show me that before now? It's not because he didn't know it. It was because I wasn't ready. But when he shows me, it was always the right time. You know, I really want you to find joy in this idea of being friend to God. To know that relationally, he's going to speak to you and he's going to explain to you. Because there's a lot of people that have been fooled and lied to by Satan, our enemy, to believe that God's going to bark some orders, but he's not going to follow it up with anything real. I'm, not, I'm just not ever going to know. No, in fact, it's quite the opposite. Growing in Jesus, walking faithfully with him means we have to end up in a friendship relationship with him. If we don't experience it, if you're not experiencing it right now, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It means that that's not where you are in the moment, and it's a goal to have God to take you to. If you know that that's where you are now, then you can rest in what you're ready for, what he's ready to give you, you will receive it. Everything else will come later. You know, this is a beautiful relationship. Because when you think about moments you've been in, where you just have thought, you know what? I don't have time to explain myself. 
I don't, I don't, you, you don't need all the details. You just simply need, just need to do what I say. If you've ever experienced that, if you've ever thought that, you know what place God could stand in rightly. But to take time in that moment to say, you know what, I am going to tell you all that you need to know. I am going to explain the purpose of why. I'm not going to let you get lost in the, in the cause of why, but the purpose of why I'm going to give you. Then you really begin to know and, and be able to kind of tangibly almost measure the love of Jesus. And that love is directly for you. Would you bow your heads for just a minute? Um, I, I want you to be encouraged. Um, I, I know um, in the words of Jesus, like he said, he, he tells us some things so we won't stumble. Um, I, I don't, as your pastor, as somebody that really does love you, I don't want you to get wrapped up in the places and, and go down the roads that we could go when we really seek to find our acceptance in the world. I, I don't want you to chase down that road. Um, but I do want you to know this. If you've, if you've gone down a distance on that road and it, and it has left you hurt or discouraged or with financial issues, with, with marriage issues, um, with just time management issues, just self-esteem issues, any of those things, we would love to counsel you in the Word of God here at this church. We would love to connect you with people. If it's, if it's resources you need that are outside our church family, we'd love to connect you with the right people where you could talk about those things. Because we know that that is not the life that God is calling us to. That's not what Jesus is aiming us for. We want you to live in a friendship with him. We want you to hear from him clearly. That's why we, you hear us say often, we want to encourage you to get into a, a small group, a Bible study. We want you to serve. We want you to be at church. We want you, your, your heart's open to worship and listen and learn and receive. Because we, uh, we, we want you to walk in that friendship because we really believe as a church that that is the only way that we can really thrive in the life that we live in. And Jesus chose you for that. He called you to that. Maybe you've been going through a season of life where you've pushed that calling off and you just need to really bring your life back close to Him. We'd love to help you with those steps, talk to you about that, pray with you about that. If you, if you know that you've never really given your life to Him, you've sensed that God is calling you into a relationship, but you haven't responded to that in any way, I'd invite you to come up during this time where we have some music and we just have a time open for you to pray. If you don't want to talk about it right now, let's, let's talk about it after the service. You can write something down on one of our cards. We even give you just a box just to check to say, I, I want to become a Christian just because we want to, we want to just offer any way we can to, to, to start that journey with you. Because we believe what God is calling you to, even as we've sang today, is greater than what we could ever even imagine. After I pray, um, we'll have some time as the praise team leads us that we will have um, to pray here at the front, if you like, to pray where you're seated, where you're standing to really seek God and understand his word better. Jesus, thank you so much for all that you do. Lord, we just pray, Father, to you, God, in, in the name of Jesus, realizing that he is about bringing you glory and bringing us to you and showing his glory through us. So, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you just allow us the grace to receive your word, to know what it means to be a friend of Jesus, to know that we can walk in relationship with him. We, can, we, we don't have to exist just in, in the realm of command. But God, we can, we can know some answers to questions. And, and Lord, we can, we can find acceptance in Him and we can push off all that the world is pulling us to. We can walk in a freedom like we've never known. Lord, so Lord, I pray that we seek You for that. Lord, I pray that You direct each of us to, to godly counsel and, and relationships that can be tangibly around us where we can hear Your Word echoed and have people encourage us towards it. But God, awaken in us um, the, the, the listening habit to Your Spirit that You put inside of us. 
really as Jesus promised that he said that he will be with us he he's still walking with us through the, the seasons and issues of life but he's doing it inside of us God help us to be grateful and thankful for that Lord to realize that it's not just power that we walk in but it's friendship Lord help us to be thankful in the name of Jesus we pray amen would you stand back up as we sing